0: Chapter 5 Gripping the phone tightly, I turned and lowered my feet to the floor. My mouth felt as dry as cotton. "'Todd, what is it?' I demanded, standing up. "'The—the the woman died,' he stammered. "'Huh?' I wasn't sure I'd heard him right. "'What woman, Todd? What are you talking about?' I asked shrilly. "'The woman in the car. Last night,' he replied in a hushed voice. "'I—I I can't really talk now, Natalie. My mama's around. I don't want her to hear.' I cleared my throat again. My head was spinning. The morning sun poured in through my bedroom window, but I suddenly felt cold all over. I turned to the wall, trembling. There was a woman in the car we hit, I demanded. Yeah, she died, Todd whispered. It's really bad news, Natalie. It's on the radio and in the morning beacon. They're saying she was killed by a hit-and-run driver. Oh, I uttered a horrified gasp and nearly dropped the phone. Are you sure it's the same car? I managed to choke out. Yeah, afraid so, Todd murmured, on the dead-end street. Just off River Road, he sighed. My dad called from the office, and he said, Excuse me? Your dad, I interrupted. What does he have to do with it, Todd? The line went silent for a moment. Then Todd finally spoke up. My dad works for Mayor Coletti. I told you, it's his new job. So? I demanded eagerly. The woman we hit, Todd replied. She was Mayor Coletti's sister. I dropped back onto my bed. I shut my eyes and saw the swirling fog again. This time it felt as if it were choking me wrapping itself around me, strangling me. I opened my eyes, forcing the image away. I let out a long breath. Todd, you mean your dad? The mayor called him in early this morning to deal with the newspapers and TV stations. Dad said that Coletti is going to do everything he can, everything, to find a driver who killed his sister. I stared at the wall. The tiny roses on the wallpaper appeared to fade behind more billowing fog. The fog keeps returning, keeps rising up, I thought. I suddenly wanted it to wrap me inside it, I wanted to hide inside it, disappear into thick walls of fog and never come out. How could we have driven away last night? I asked myself. How could we have hit that woman's car and left her there to die? We had all acted so selfishly, so thoughtlessly. We had put our worries, our fears, in front of saving a human life. I struggled to swallow. My throat felt dry, parched. The tiny roses on the wallpaper faded to a pink blur as hot tears covered my eyes. Could we have saved her life if we had stayed? I asked myself. Could we have taken her to a hospital in time? If we had stayed. If we had stayed. I wiped the tears from my eyes and stared at my clock radio. If only I could move back time, I thought. If only I could roll back the time to last night. If I could roll back the time, we could have another chance. Another chance to stay. To help the woman we hit. The Mayor's sister. I glanced down to discover the film receiver in my lap. Had I said goodbye to Todd? Had I said anything to him after he reported the horrifying news? I didn't remember. I raised the phone to my ear and heard the steady drone of the dial tone. I replaced the receiver with a trembling hand. Hit and run killers. We were hit and run killers, I realized. Those were words I'd heard only on the news. I never thought I'd know a hit and run killer. I never thought I'd be one. Why didn't we stay? The question wouldn't leave me alone, wouldn't go away. If we're caught now, I told myself. We'll be in more trouble than we ever dreamed. Without warning, a dry laugh escaped my lips. Randy was so worried about being grounded. It didn't seem so important now. They have worse punishments for hit-and-run drivers than being grounded, I thought bitterly. And now what? I wondered, clasping my ice-cold hands tightly in my lap, staring at the tiny pink roses. Now what? What do I do from now on? Do I wait in fear? Wait to be caught? Do I spend the rest of my life being afraid that the police will find us? Do I spend the rest of my life wondering when, when I will be caught? When will the whole world find out what we did? When will my normal, average, happy life come to an end? One phone call will end it all, I've realized. One phone call from a police officer saying, We know it was you. We know you were in the car that sped away after killing the mayor's sister. So what do I do? I asked myself. What do I do from now on? Do I have to be frightened every time the phone rings? Do I have to think? This is the call that will ruin your life? And as I asked myself that upsetting question, the phone rang. Chapter 6 The first ring made me jump and cry out. My heart nearly leaped out of my chest. I swallowed hard, staring at the phone. It rang three more times before I picked it up. Hello? My voice came out a hoarse whisper. Natalie, you up? Did I wake you? Keith, I cried. No, I'm up. I just, uh... My heart was pounding so hard I could barely talk. Listen, about last night, he started. I'm sorry, Natalie, I... I can't talk now, I interrupted. Hey, I know you're mad at me, he continued. I don't blame you, really, but I have to tell you. No, Keith, I'm sorry, I insisted sharply. I really can't talk now. But I have to talk to you, he whined. I was so plowed last night, Natalie, all that beer. I didn't really know. I cut him off again. "'Keith, goodbye. I told him firmly. "'You can apologize later. I'll call you. I promise. Bye.' I slammed down the receiver. I was too upset, too frightened to listen to Keith's apology. It was always the same with him. He'd do something stupid, something really crazy. He'd get me so angry I just wanted to run away or break up with him for good. Then he'd call first thing the next morning and put on his little boy voice and apologize a hundred times until I promised not to be mad. This morning I wasn't in the mood. The five of us met that afternoon in Shadyside Park behind our high school. It was a sunny, cold Saturday. Our sneakers sank into the grass, still wet from yesterday's rain. Behind the school, three kids I knew were jogging around the track. Just beyond the track, a tag football game was in progress on the practice field. We headed away from the school, following the path that led to the woods and the Kananoka River behind it. This wasn't the most comfortable meeting place we knew, but we couldn't talk with any of our parents around and we were afraid we might be overheard in a restaurant. We stopped at a wooden picnic table at the edge of the woods. The benches were wet, but we sat down anyway. A scrawny gray squirrel came scampering toward us. It stopped a few feet from the table and raised its paws in a begging position. Todd laughed. Hey, guy, he called to it. No begging. You are supposed to be prepared for winter. The squirrel kept its position for a few moments. Then, when he saw that it wasn't getting results, it turned and scurried slowly back into the trees. I shivered. I'd pulled on a sweatshirt over a long-sleeved t-shirt, but I still felt chilled. I should have worn my coat. Who brought the cards? Todd joked. No one laughed. Todd seemed to be the only one, not shaken and upset by the news about what we had done. Gillian huddled close to Carlo on one side of the picnic table. Her long, auburn hair fell in tangles over her face. When she pushed it away, I could see that her eyes were red rimmed and bloodshot, her face even paler than usual. Randy had an unopened package of lifesavers that she kept rolling around in her hand and tossing from hand to hand. She had barely said a word to any of us all afternoon. She was breathing shallowly, I saw. She avoided my glance, keeping her eyes on the package of lifesavers. I had the feeling she was desperately holding herself in, struggling not to break down in hysterical tears. Carlo kept nervously pushing his black framed glasses up on his nose. He had an arm around the shoulder of Jillian's blue-down jacket, and he kept leaning close to her, whispering, his dark eyebrows rising and lowering over his glasses, his expression tense. Todd stood at one end of the table, trying to snap one sleeve of his faded denim jacket. His white-blonde hair fluttered in a cold breeze. I'm freezing, Jillian declared. Why couldn't we meet someplace for him? Yeah, like Florida, Todd joked. Again, no one felt like laughing. I really don't believe this is happening, Randy muttered, shaking her head. She fiddled with the red spandex ski band she had pulled over her blonde hair. It's happening, Todd replied darkly. Did your father hear anything more? I asked him. Have the police? Todd shook his head. I don't have any more information, he said. Dad hasn't heard anything. The mayor is offering a reward, Randy gasped. A reward for anyone who knows anything about it, Todd finished staring at Randy. We have to go tell them, Carlos said suddenly. Jillian turned and stared at him in surprise. We have to, Carlo insisted in a high, tense voice. If we go to the police now and tell them what happened, they'll understand. They'll go easier on us. Whoa, well, Carlo, what are you saying? Randy cried. It's easy for you. You weren't the one who was driving. I saw Todd's eyes narrow. His expression turn angry. They're going to catch us, Carlo replied shrilly. It's only a matter of time, so we have to go tell them. We have to. It was just an accident, after all. As Carlo talked, my eyes were on Todd. To my surprise, his face turned bright red. He snapped at Carlo through gritted teeth. Are you crazy? Have you totally lost it? Carlo reacted with shock at Todd's sudden anger. I really think the police would go easier on us, he started, but Todd didn't let him finish. Todd reached across the table and grabbed the front of Carlo's coat. If you snitch on us, you die next, Todd whispered. You die next, Carlo. Chapter 7 Jillian gasped. Randy and I jumped up, grabbed Todd, and pulled him off Carlo. Don't grab me, Carlo cried angrily. Have you totally lost it? The two boys stood glaring at each other across the picnic table, red-faced, breathing hard. Todd, what's your problem? Jillian demanded. Why are you acting so crazy? We can't go to the police, Todd cried angrily, still keeping his eyes on Carlo. I don't want to hear anyone talking about going to the police. But, Todd, I started. He pulled away from Randy and me and spun around to face us. My dad will lose his job, he cried. If anyone finds out I was in the car that hit the mayor's sister, my dad will lose his job with the mayor. Do you know what kind of trouble I'll be in? He turned angrily back to Carlo. Do you know what kind of temper my dad has? Have you ever seen him in one of his rages? He'll never forgive me if he finds out I was involved in this. Never! Carlo didn't reply. He straightened out the front of his jacket, his dark eyes narrowed on Todd. Jillian leaned close to Carlo, whispering something in his ear. Trying to calm him down, I guess. She turned angrily to Todd. We all have a lot to lose, she snapped. We're all upset, and scared, and messed up. But that's no excuse to go totally ballistic, Todd. She stared at Todd until he lowered his eyes. Sorry, he muttered. You're right, I just lost it. I'm the one who should be losing it, Brandy declared, shoving her hands into the pockets of her down jacket and pacing grimly in front of the picnic table. I'm the one who was driving. I'm the one who hit her. The one who... Killed her? Silence for a long moment. Like I said, we all have a lot to lose, Jillian repeated. My dad isn't doing too well in the hospital, Carlo revealed. Whenever I visit him, I try to bring him good news. I try to cheer him up. I don't want him to know what we did, but I still think Todd is right, Randy interrupted. We can't go to the police. We just can't. We just can't. We have to hope and pray that no one saw us, that no one can identify my car. And we have to keep the secret, Todd added leaning on the end of the table, his eyes moving from one of us to the next. I pulled my long black hair into a ponytail and kept sliding my hands back through it as I thought about what my friends were saying. I couldn't decide if I agreed with Todd or Carlo. I felt so bad. It was taking all my strength not to collapse into tears in front of everyone. I knew that going to the police was the right thing to do. We had caused an accident and then sped away as fast as we could. We had accidentally killed a woman. The right thing was to confess. But I couldn't turn in my best friend. Randy was the driver. Randy was the one with the most to lose. I couldn't go to the police unless Randy agreed that we should. And if we did go, what good would it do? If we confessed, it wouldn't bring the mayor's sister back to life. And we'd already learned our lesson. Our fear, our unhappiness was punishment enough. Going to the police would ruin our lives. And it wouldn't help anyone in any way. If we stick together, we'll be okay, Todd was arguing. But I'll be afraid every time the phone rings, Jillian replied. Every time someone comes to the door, I'll think it's the police. I'll think they've found out the truth and have come for me. We'll live in constant fear, Carlo added, huddling close to Jillian. We won't have to, Todd insisted. My dad is in the mayor's office, remember? He's right there. He'll see all the reports. He'll hear the news first. So, Carlo demanded. So I'll be able to find out if the police are finding any clues, Todd continued. All I have to do is ask my dad how the search for the hit and run killer is going. He'll tell me. We'll know before anyone else. I bit my bottom lip, thinking hard. And what has he told you so far? I asked Todd. I told you, Todd replied impatiently. They don't have a clue, Natalie. Not a clue. We'll be okay. I know we will, if we just stick together. We can't tell anyone, Randy added firmly. Not a soul. It has to be our secret. Just the five of us? Randy turned to me. That includes Keith, she said. Keith is a good guy, but he can't keep a secret? Yeah, Keith can't, know. Todd agreed. He locked his eyes on mine, challenging me. You got a problem with that, Natalie? I shook my head. No, no problem, I muttered. I hadn't even thought about telling Keith what had happened. Keith had slipped out of my mind. I do have to call him back, I remembered. I have to let him apologize, for acting like such a jerk last night. I pictured Keith with his silky brown hair that I love to tug, his soulful brown eyes. Could I keep this horrible secret from him? When I was with him, could I pretend that everything was fine? That I was the same happy high school senior I'd always been? Yes, I told myself. Natalie, you have no choice. You've got to keep the secret. We all must keep the secret. Then we'll be safe. Todd pushed himself away from the table. I caught a cold glimmer of excitement in his pale eyes. Let's take a vow, he said solemnly. Huh? Excuse me, Carlo demanded. Let's take a vow, Todd repeated impatiently. You know, a vow of secrecy. Backing over the wet grass, he motioned with both hands. Come on, form a circle, everybody. I hung back, watching the others. Randy stepped away from the table to join Todd. Jillian and Carlo hesitated, their expressions tense and uncertain. A strong gust of wind made the trees whisper and shake. Feeling a sharp chill, I wrapped my arms around my chest and started to move toward Todd. I suddenly felt as if a strange force were pulling me. A force stronger than me, stronger than all of us, was pulling us into a circle. Pulling us together in this cold clearing by the woods to take our secret vow. The wind blew harder as Randy, Todd, and I waited for Jillian and Carlo to join us. We joined hands. Randy squeezed my left hand hard. Carlo's hand felt so cold, so wet and cold, grasping my right. We stood awkwardly in a circle, staring at one another, our expressions solemn. No one spoke. The only sound was the rush of wind through the trees. Todd broke the silence in a low, serious voice. We all swear to keep the secret, he said. Such a simple vow. Such a simple promise. Holding my friend's hands, gazing from one to the other around the circle, I had no idea of the horror that vow would bring. No idea how many of us would die because of it. Chapter 8 After dinner, I went up to my room. I took my heaviest, warmest sweater from my dresser drawer and pulled it on over the light sweater I was wearing. I just couldn't get warm. I'd had chills ever since I returned from Shadyside Park. Maybe I'm coming down with something, I thought, but when I took my temperature, it was normal. I dropped down on my bed and stared at the wall for a long moment. Great Saturday night, I thought bitterly. Maybe I should do some homework. That would make it perfect. Keith had called again earlier that afternoon while I was with the others. He left a message on the answering machine saying to call him as soon as I got in, that he really wanted to talk to me. I know, I know, I thought, sigh. You want to apologize so things can go back to normal. I held in a sob. Things are never going to be normal again, I thought. Never. I didn't call him back. Now it was 7.30. The sky was an inky black outside my window. Black as death, I thought grimly. I stood up and crossed the room to my small desk. It's actually a kid's desk but it was the only one we could find to fit into my tiny room. I'll write a poem, I decided. It will give me something else to think about, something to distract me. I have been writing poems about each month of the year, sort of free verse impressions of the month. I was going up to May, spring I thought, green leaves, soft warm air. I let out a long sigh, May was a long way away. Winter had just begun, and already I was shivering and cold. I lowered myself to the desk chair and scooted my legs under the low desk. Then I pulled out my writing pad and a couple of pencils from the drawer. I had just written May at the top of the first blank page when Mom came into the room. She carried a bundle of neatly folded, just-washed clothes in her arms. She dropped them on the bed and turned to me. Staying home tonight? I nodded. Yeah, I had an idea for a poem, I told her, twirling the pencil between my fingers. Put these away, okay? She motioned to the pile of clothes. After you write your poem, I mean. Mom and I look a lot alike. We both have straight black hair and pale white skin, we both have blue eyes, and we're both kind of short and kind of skinny." She crossed the room and put a hand tenderly on my shoulder as she gazed down at my notebook. "'May,' she read. "'Well, that's a very poetic start.' "'Ha ha, very funny,' I said, rolling my eyes. "'How was the party last night?' she asked, running her hand through my hair. The question caught me by surprise. "'Not great,' I replied honestly. "'Not great?' She waited for me to continue. Some boys from another school had some six-packs out in the garage, I told her. It all got a little too crowded and crazy. She continued to play with my hair, the way she had when I was a little girl. I suddenly felt so sad, like I wanted to be a little girl again, like I wanted to crawl into her lap and cuddle close to her, and tell her, tell her the whole horrible story. Luckily, she removed her fingers from my hair and stepped away, and the feeling passed. Where's Keith tonight? she asked, heading for the door. I don't know, I replied with a shrug. I turned back to my poem. She stopped in the doorway. He left a message for you on the machine. Did you call him back? Not yet, I replied curtly. Did you and Keith? Her voice trailed off. I had her well trained. She knew better than to ask personal questions. She knew it always made me angry. I'll call him later, I said, trying to sound casual. I could feel her eyes on me, but I didn't turn around. After a few seconds, I heard her pad back down the stairs. I tried to concentrate on my poem, but I wasn't in a May mood. Far from it. I couldn't get the accident from my mind. It was nearly 24 hours later, and I still kept hearing the heavy crunch of our bumper against the other car. I saw the car bounce. In the glare of the headlights, I saw the woman's shadow slide across the back window. Felt our car jolt. Felt my neck snap. Felt the pain all over again. Felt the terror. The cold terror. Heard the squeal of tires as our car skidded over the wet pavement, then roared away. Oh, stop it, Natalie, I cried out loud. Stop it! I shoved my poetry notebook back in the desk drawer. There is no way I could write a lovely little spring poem tonight. No way. I climbed up from the low desk, turned to the bedroom door, and froze. Keith stood in the doorway, both hands against the frame, his dark eyes locked on mine. How long have you been standing there? I stammered. He took a step into the room. I just got here, Natalie. Your mom let me in. Well, what do you want? I asked coldly, folding my arms in front of me. We have to talk, he said. I want to. No, please, Keith, I pleaded. Not tonight, okay? I'm not feeling too well, and— No, he insisted sharply. We have to talk now. And then his eyes narrowed into an accusing stare, and he added in a low voice, Natalie, I know your secret. Chapter 9 I felt a cold stab of pain in my chest, as if someone had shoved an icicle into my heart. I gasped. What did you say? Keith continued to stare accusingly at me. I know your secret, he repeated. But how? I started. You want to dump me, don't you? He accused. That's your secret wish. You want to dump me and go out with Todd? I almost burst out laughing. I was so relieved that he didn't know our horrible secret. Keith, I uttered, you're wrong, you're totally wrong. I jumped up and threw my arms around him. We stood in the middle of the room, hugging. I pressed my cheek hard against his. It felt so good. I never wanted to let go. But when I finally backed away, I caught the confusion on his face. Is something wrong? He asked, his dark eyes studying me. I was breathing hard. My heart was fluttering, like a butterfly. I suddenly felt as delicate as a butterfly. As delicate and vulnerable. An image of a crushed butterfly, its wings crumpled and torn, flashed into my mind. I shook the image away. No, I'm fine, I managed to choke out. I took a deep breath. And I'm not interested in that big jock, Todd, I told Keith. What made you think that I was? You went home with him last night, Keith replied, turning his eyes to the window. I laughed. I did not, I cried, giving Keith a playful shove. I went home with Randy, only because you were too wrecked to drive. I saw you talking with Todd at the party, Keith insisted. Then I saw you leave with him. That's a lie, I said. I didn't leave with him. He left with us. Keith started to say more, but I pressed my hand over his mouth. Listen, Keith, I'm not interested in Todd, okay? If you want to know the truth, I'm a little afraid of him. Huh? Keith reacted with surprise. Afraid? He's such a truck, I said, and I think he has a real mean streak. I've known Todd all my life, Keith replied. I don't think he's too scary. He swept a hand tensely through his wavy brown hair. Listen, Natalie, we've got to talk. I thought we just did, I shot back. He frowned at me. I mean... He stopped. His eyes burned into mine. I could see that he was thinking hard. I had a strong desire to tell him about last night, to tell him everything. It was so hard to hold it in. It was all I could think about. I was obsessed. How could I not tell Keith? Then I remembered our solemn vow in the park, holding hands, promising not to tell anyone, to keep the secret forever. If Keith stays, I'll break the vow, I realized. If he stays, I'll tell him what happened. I wouldn't be able to stop myself, I knew. It was all too fresh in my mind, still so painful, so upsetting. I I can't talk now, I stammered. I really have to do this homework. I motioned to the desk. He gazed at me thoughtfully. Did he suspect that something was wrong? Really wrong? Bye. You're out of here, I said, trying to sound casual and light. I gave him a shove toward the door. Whoa. He grabbed my hand and held them for a moment, still studying my face. Are you going to the lodge next Saturday? Excuse me? His question startled me. I had no idea what he was talking about. You know, the lodge. The one Carlo's uncle owns, Keith continued. Didn't Carlo invite you yet? I shook my head. Oh sure, I just forgot about it. Carlo's uncle George owned a huge old hunting lodge outside Vermeer Forest upstate. It was pretty run down and not very popular. One weekend every winter, uncle George allowed Carlo to invite a bunch of friends out. I remember that last year it snowed and the whole area was really beautiful. We all had so much fun tramping through the woods. At night, we roasted hot dogs and hamburgers and got very mellow drinking hot, mulled cider. Not a bad weekend. Are you going to go next Saturday? I asked Keith. He shook his head unhappily. Can't. I have to go visit some cousins with my parents. Then maybe I won't go either, I said thoughtfully. No, you should go, Keith urged. You should definitely go. I narrowed my eyes at him. Huh? How come? Because your precious Toddy Waddy will be there, he exclaimed in disgusting baby talk. He burst out laughing. I gave him another push, then kissed him, a long, tender kiss, and sent him on his way. Later that night I called Todd. Any news, I asked, about, you know? He reacted angrily. Are you going to call me every hour for updates, he snapped. Whoa, hold on, Todd, I started to protest. Todd groaned. Give me a break, Natalie. Don't call me, okay? I can't really talk anyway. My brother and sister are around. My parents are in the next room. I just wondered if you heard anything, I said. If I hear anything at all, I'll let you know, he replied coldly. He hung up. I slammed down the phone angrily. What a pig, I cried out loud. I shook my head. How could Keith think that I had a thing for Todd? I really couldn't stand Todd. A few days later, I had even more reason to dislike Todd, and to be afraid of him. The days seemed to drag by slowly. I had big exams in chemistry and in advanced math. In a way, having the exams was lucky, because studying helped me take my mind off the accident. On Tuesday, Todd called up to Randy and me outside the gym. After first making sure there was no one else around, he told us that the mayor was more determined than ever to find out who killed his sister. He had offered a special bonus to any police officer who turned up an important clue. My dad is kind of worried about the mayor, Todd told us. He and his sister were really close. Mayor Coletti can't stop talking about her. Todd's words sent a chill down my back. If the mayor is so obsessed, he won't give up the search, I realized. How long will it be before he tracks us down? How long? Friday night after dinner, I was packing my bag for the weekend at the lodge. The weather had turned bitterly cold. A heavy frost covered the ground. I packed the heaviest sweaters and outfits I had. I remembered that Uncle George's lodge wasn't exactly the warmest place in the world. I kept changing my mind about whether or not I was looking forward to this weekend. I was disappointed that Keith wouldn't be there, but Randy and Jillian were coming and I thought maybe a change of scenery would help us all forget our frightening secret. Nearly a week has gone by, I told myself, struggling to squeeze a small overnight bag shut, and according to Todd's dad, the police still don't have a clue. Maybe we'll be okay, I told myself. Maybe we can go on with our lives. Then the phone rang. It was Todd, calling with bad news. Chapter 10 We have to do something about Carlo, Todd whispered. Excuse me? I wasn't sure I had heard him correctly. The words didn't make any sense. Can't you talk louder? I demanded. No, he whispered. Just shut up and listen, Natalie. Good old Todd, as sweet as always. We have to do something about Carlo, he repeated. Todd sounded excited, tense. I realized I had never heard him like this. What's wrong? I asked, pressing the receiver tightly to my ear. Carlo called me after dinner. Todd continued in that frightened, breathless whisper. He says he can't take it any more. You mean about... My voice trailed off. Yes, Todd replied quickly. He says it's tearing him up inside. He can't eat. He can't sleep. Todd let out a sarcastic groan. Carlo was always a wimp, he muttered. What's he going to do? I stammered. Go to the police, Todd replied. I didn't reply for a long moment, letting this news set in. Maybe it's the best thing, I said finally, but Randy won't be too happy. Tell me about it, Todd muttered sarcastically. Listen, Natalie, meet me at Pete's Pizza in 15 minutes, okay? Huh? Why, Todd? He ignored my question. I'll call everyone else, he continued, still whispering. I could hear his little sister calling to him in the background. Fifteen minutes, okay? I said I'd try and hung up the phone. My whole body was trembling. I had just started to feel a little better, and now— There isn't much point in meeting, I told myself, brushing my hair with rapid nervous strokes. I pulled my red pocket out of the closet and slipped into it. If Carlo feels he has to go to the police— There really isn't anything we can do about it, I thought with a long sigh. Maybe we should all go with him. I glanced my way down the stairs. Dad glanced up from his computer magazine and squinted at me from his armchair. Where are you going? Uh, just meeting Randy at the mall, I told him. It wasn't exactly a lie. He glanced at his watch and frowned. I thought you were leaving early tomorrow morning for that hunting lodge. It won't take long, I said. Randy just needs a few last-minute things. He nodded and returned to his magazine. I could hear Mom humming to herself. I glimpsed her at the dining room table, working on the family photo album. She was about two years behind, I think. She had snapshots scattered everywhere. Such a nice, peaceful scene, I thought bitterly as I headed out into the cold. If they only knew. I was the last to arrive. I spotted Randy, Jillian, and Todd at the long red vinyl booth in the back of the pizza restaurant and hurried to join them. Randy kept her down coat on. Jillian wore a lavender sweater that looked beautiful with her auburn hair. I could see by the tense, unhappy expressions that the discussion had already started. "'We can't let Carlo ruin it for all of us,' Randy was saying as I slid beside her. "'But what can we do?' Jillian demanded shrilly. I talked to him after school. I pleaded and begged. "'Really? If anyone could convince Carlo not to talk, it was Jillian.' "'So what did he say?' I asked impatiently. Jillian lowered her eyes. Carlo said his mind is made up, he said the guilt is killing him, he can't keep our vow, he has to go to the police. I looked at Todd, he hadn't said a word since I arrived. He sat across the table from me, spitting the pepper shaker between his hands. Finally, Todd raised his blue eyes, his face remained a blank, no expression at all. Maybe Carlo has to have an accident too, he said softly. All three of us guessed. I stared hard at Todd, trying to read his thoughts his eyes were suddenly so cold his features set so hard randy let out a shrill nervous laugh jillian's mouth had dropped open in shock you're joking right i demanded todd you're joking right todd said finally allowing a thin smile to spread over his lips just joking what else